0: Is your patient undecided about hormone replacement therapy? Time is ticking. Is it possible that the sooner they begin, the lesser the risk for developing coronary artery calcification? You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Dr. Howard Hodas, professor of cardiology, professor of medicine and preventive medicine, professor of molecular pharmacology and toxicology, and Director of the Atherosclerosis Research Unit Division of Cardiovascular Medicine at Keck School of Medicine at the University of Southern California. Dr. Hodas, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Well, I'd like to start kind of educating our audience about the whi Kex study, because I don't think many people are familiar with it. What did you learn?
1: Interestingly, the calcium measure has been used as an endpoint for a long time, and in, in the field of atherobiology, atherosclerosis, coronary disease. What we've learned is that medications that we commonly use, such as lipid lowering medications, those most commonly today called statins, do not alter the course of the change in coronary calcification. Uh, We call that progression. So if, if somebody had a measurement today of coronary calcium and they came back two years later, that would change naturally with just the course of the, of the atherogenic process, and no therapy that's been tried, such as lipid-lowering therapy, actually reduces that or slows that down. It doesn't mean that they don't work on atherosclerosis and reduce heart disease. It's just on that component of the plaque, therapies that we commonly use do not seem to alter the calcium. That's where WHI is really interesting because the estrogen did that after two years,
0: So what is happening in terms of at at the level of the plaque and a calcified plaque? Why is calcium even there? Do we know that?
1: The most commonly believed is that calcium is representing the reparative process going on in the wall itself. After injury to a tissue, blood gets involved and, and cells from the blood get involved, and through the healing process, calcium gets deposited. For some reason, in certain individuals, not everybody that this process goes haywire and it continues to progress. And that may be and usually is a marker of underlying atherosclerosis. Calcium itself is not atherosclerosis, that's a common misconception, but it is a marker of atherosclerosis. And that's important to understand also If you have calcifications on a scan, it's likely you have atherosclerosis. If you don't have calcifications on a scan, it doesn't rule out atherosclerosis because, in fact, most people do not calcify their lesions.
0: And that's really soft plaques.
1: Right. That's a simplified way to view it exactly.
0: Let me get this straight. You're saying that lipid-lowering therapy does not really decrease the amount of calcium and that estrogen therapy will. Correct
1: previous studies that have looked at lipid-lowering drugs, such as statins, have been a little more better conducted, if you will, than than what was reported out of WHI. But since all these studies have been done under randomized conditions, we can make some statement across the two kinds of therapies. But again, I want to emphasize, it doesn't mean that lipid-lowering does not reduce atherosclerosis because we know it does. We know it reduces heart disease up to 25 to 30%, at least in men. So that's important to remember, and just because it doesn't affect the calcium doesn't mean it doesn't reduce one's risk.
0: Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what estrogen is doing for these patients. I'm a lipidologist, and i'm I'm kind of fascinated by the fact that if you give estrogen at a specific time, you may actually decrease the the progression of atherosclerosis. and it goes against kind of what w h i told us about estrogen.
1: That is correct in a broad sense. Let me reconcile what has been publicized versus what the data say, because they really are two different statements, if you will. What has been publicly acknowledged or stated, and which is common knowledge to even treating physicians, is that estrogen has no effect across all women in terms of reducing heart disease and in terms of its risk. What the data say in actuality is that hormones, estrogen specifically, does have a very consistent effect on reducing heart disease in women that started around menopause. And the best we can do so far, because we haven't done the precise studies yet to really study this hypothesis, is that it appears that women that started within six years of menopause and under the age of 60 will gleam benefits in terms of reducing heart disease and have actually very low risk of adverse effects. So what got out publicly is that hormones don't work in any woman, and that's just not accurate. It's a global statement, but it misses what the data really actually say, which is that it appears that estrogen is modified by age and the time since menopause. That is, the younger you start, the more the benefit and older women have more risk than benefit, and older being defined, starting hormones, let's say, greater than the age of 60 and certainly greater than the age of 70.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Today I'm talking with Dr. Howard Hodas, Professor of Cardiology and Medicine and Preventive Medicine, along with Professor of Molecular Pharmacology and Toxicology, and he also directs the Atherosclerosis Research Unit, in the Division of Cardiovascular Medicine at the Keck School of Medicine at the University of Southern California. We're talking about estrogen replacement therapy and coronary artery calcification. Dr. Hodis, what kind of numbers are we talking about in terms of event progression by using estrogen? Uh, what are we seeing with strokes and diabetes and breast cancer?
1: Again, this is all dependent upon the age when the woman starts the hormone. So I certainly would like to just focus on those younger women or women less than 60 who initiated at least in WHI because I think it's really the relevant age that we should be looking at in terms of ameliorating the symptoms of menopause such as flushing, vaginal dryness, and certainly even the potential long-term use of these products in preventing heart disease. So what we've learned in the most recent data from WHI, and this was a publication in JAMA just this year, is that women who start were randomized in that study beginning before the age of 60 or within approximately 10 years of menopause, had a reduction in in heart disease. And we're talking about seven fewer cases per 10,000 women who used the product or who were randomized to the product. And so that's a benefit. The adverse effects that are of concern in these younger women really are very low to non-existent. We consider them rare risks. And for example, breast cancer, which has been a large concern, especially with the combination therapy of estrogen, progestin, and again, even though that's a rare risk, it does exist, that with estrogen only, breast cancer was actually reduced in WHI. And although it wasn't significant over the entire study population, when the population that actually was most compliant with the medication that's taking the pills 80% of the time or greater, actually had a statistically significant reduction in breast cancer. And that was apparent in all ages, from 50 to 60, from 60 to 70, and from 70 to 80. So it was a little surprising, but the data are there, and that's a fact. So we, I think we could be Quite assured, based on the WHI study, that a woman who initiates hormone therapy before the age of 60 has little to no risk of breast cancer if she's going to take estrogen therapy. Bone fractures were reduced. The next risk factor that everybody is concerned about is stroke, but actually, in these women less than 60, again, there were two fewer strokes per 10,000 women who were randomized to estrogen only per year. And that was, again, a reduction in stroke. Not significant, but a reduction. And again, providing reassurance that there's no increased risk of of stroke in these younger women.
0: What do I tell my patients who have a, a positive family history of breast cancer? Does that change my thinking? I think
1: that is a little different. These are individuals, obviously, women that are higher risk of breast cancer, regardless whether they take hormones or not. They're at higher risk. Now, the question of whether hormones add risk on top of that baseline risk is completely completely unknown. We need to be more cautious with these women. They need to be surveyed or followed through mammograms and regular exams more closely. So personally, I don't think if you're going to use especially estrogen only in a woman with a history of breast cancer who would absolutely need amelioration of menopausal symptoms, that one should shy away from it. Because there just is no better therapy for the symptoms of menopause at the current time. So using the product in these women for a shorter period of time, maybe that's the solution. But we haven't worked out those details yet.
0: I also worry about thromboembolic disease with estrogen replacement therapy. Is that something I should even be worried about, or has that been overplayed?
1: It's been overplayed in the sense that when you look over the entire population, that risk is elevated. It's about 8 per 10,000 women per year. You know, these are very small risks. So when you look at the women less than 60, The number of thromboembolic events, and we're talking about clots in the legs and clots in the lung, is 4 per 10,000 women, or actually 0.4 women, less than a half a woman, if you can imagine that, per 1,000 women who use the product. Now, let's put that in perspective because it's really important. That's been the other problem trying to get the message out there about hormones, and that is the overplay in the risk. As I said several times, these are rare risks let me put that in perspective. A 0.4 per thousand woman risk of thromboembolic event is really no greater than many other drugs that we commonly use in medicine today. So if you're a diabetic, for example, and your doctor puts you on a drug called a fibrate, and those drugs like Tricor and lopid are the two commonly ones used in this country, your risk for a thromboembolic event is just as great is if you're a healthy woman, put on estrogen only. So that's just one example. But there's many other drugs, and we've published these data recently, and there's many other drugs that have similar magnitude of risk. So the risk that's been attributable to hormones, yes, it's there, but it's rare, and again, it's really no greater than many other drugs we use in medicine today.
0: Well, what do you do with, let's say, your sister or your wife? who is menopausal, and uh, you would like to reduce her risk of developing coronary artery disease. Are you going to recommend to her estrogen over lipid therapy for a short time?
1: Today, with the data we have, okay, based on all the other data in the literature for the last 40 years, we call that the cumulative data, I think definitely point in a direction that estrogen alone especially, okay? We don't know about all the other therapies yet, but estrogen only is cardioprotective. And I have absolutely no problem starting my patients on this therapy around the time of menopause, okay? I'm talking, you know, at least within six years and women under 60. My patients are typically at menopause, so I don't have to worry about them being too old or too much at risk. And the issue of how long, although I know it's the common phrase to say, you know, the lowest dose for the shortest period of time. That's how we get around this risk. It's really basically nonsense because there's no data to support that.
0: Dr. Howard Hodis, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm Dr. Larry Casco and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments or questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.